Hello, welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and today I'm here with George Ortega and Jamie Soden, and we were going to talk about acausal events, like is there such a thing as a truly uncaused um, or truly random un or acausal event? And if there was such a thing, would it make a difference in any area of life? Because I don't think it would make any difference as far as the free will uh, debate is concerned, because we know we can't be uh, responsible or the first cause of an uncaused event. But I'm wondering if it would have any other implications. So, George, what difference do you think it would make? Okay, Jamie, I think you might want to mute for a minute because I'm hearing that sound again. Uh, yeah, it just went as soon as you muted, it went off. So, like, Jamie, I guess maybe like um, until you're ready to talk, just like keep it keep it muted, and that way, hopefully, we can we can get through this easier. So, uh, um, so uh, Chandler, what was the question again? Right. Um, basically, I was wondering what you thought about would it change people's um, with the way they live their life if they knew that there were uncaused events? Would that okay. change their behavior if that knowledge was available to us? Um, yeah, yeah. I, you know, like, um, well, f in, in terms of the free will thing, you know, like, you know, uh, as we were saying, it's not going to give us a free will, you know, but it, would it change anything otherwise? I mean, like, I think, I think pragmatically, practically, to, for our purposes, there's very little, little difference between what we might consider as uncaused theoretically and what we have no idea, you know, what, of what we're ignorant in terms of causality. There's so much in reality that we don't know what caused it. For example, the Big Bang. We have no idea what caused it. So, like, for us to kind of like conjecture whether it was caused or uncaused, it kind of like gives us the same answer because, you know, neither, neither answer gives us any information. Um, speaking of the Big Bang, though, um, there was somebody who told me that a Catholic priest came up with the idea of the Big Bang. Um, I don't I don't know. Um, yeah, they, they sent me a link to some some story about it was first proposed by a guy who happened to be a Catholic priest. Okay, that's kind of like Mendel's peas. I think Mendel was a, a monk or something, right? I, Mendel, the guy with genetics. Really? I think so. I think he was like some kind of like a monk. I don't know. It's kind of cool because, you know, I've always wondered if monks or priests, like they get so bored that then they turn into some kind of a scientific, curious person. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, some, some, some traditions, they're, they're investigating reality. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting, um, but yeah, like, like we don't think that um, like, like whether the Big Bang was caused or uncaused, if there was such a thing, um, that wouldn't change our reality any, would it? I don't think so. I don't think there's a difference between like you know our perceiving something as not being caused. Well, actually, the the one thing that would change, in other words, like. If we were absolutely sure it was uncaused, then we wouldn't be looking for a cause for it. Whereas, like now, where we kind of like assume that everything is caused, at least scientifically, then we're always looking for the causes, and and that looking is is what helps us find the causes. 
Yeah, and you know, I think that's why um, a belief that there is a cause has a tendency to be more practical, at least when it comes to not necessarily the Big Bang, but when it comes to human behavior. It's, it's, um, it's usually better if we assume that there are causes to human behavior, because then we can, we can use that information either to cause more of what we like and stop what we don't like. Uh, exactly, exactly. That's, that's another benefit of overcoming this free will belief. You know, we, we actually look for the causes of things. Yeah. Um, but I now I think we do that because we're determinists. But if there was somebody who truly believed in random events, they they might understand that free will is an illusion because the a causality cancels that out um, so strongly, just as easily as determinism. But they might not reap the benefits that come from looking for causes. Exactly. And, and to the extent that they would continue to believe in free will, you know, after understanding that things are uncaused, you know, and applying that, to free, that just simply means that they don't understand sufficiently well enough, you know, this concept of, of a causality, you know, because like you can't get there's no way you can get to a free will the way we've defined it you know, through things being uncaused. Because again, like free will requires that we of our free will are causing our decisions. Exactly. And see, what bothers me is that so, so many libertarian free will believers is they try to throw in some kind of randomness and say that that grants us free will. And if anything, um, it, I would say it's an even stronger case against free will than determinism. Absolutely. Because, because in that case, you don't even have compatibilist free will because what happens isn't even of your, of your actual will. You know, it's Great not point. caused by any part of you. <laughs> Great point. Jamie, what's your take on this? Uh, we may have lost him. Can he hear us? Uh, yeah, I think he needs to unmute his mic um, when he talks, if he's still there. Okay. I don't know. All right, you might have gone. All right. Um, so, but all right. So, but we want to also explore just like, you know, I, it seems this, this whole concept of, of a causality is as incoherent as the concept of free will. And, you know, for, for those people who believe it's quote unquote possible, I think they're saying it in the sense that like, for example, it's possible that once you dig into, let's say, the moon, you know, dig a mile or two, that it's, you know, inside of it, it's cheese or something, you know, it's, you know, in other words, <laughs> we, we can come up with these, you know, these things about reality. Yes, it's possible. It's possible that are, that every time, for example, one of the craziest things I think in physics is this multi, um, this um, many worlds interpretation, where like, basically, they're, they're saying like, at any every moment, you know, where there's like a, a particle or something has a choice of, of doing this or that, then actually at that moment, you know, every possible, you know, choice happens in a different universe. I think that that's like, you know, <laughs> sure, it's it's like it's it's possible in this kind of like uh, grammatical sense, but I, that's I think the only way it's possible, you know. So like, so I think we have to distinguish between possible 
you know, according to what we know of the world and then possible in the sense like, well, anything's possible, you know, that, that we can like grammatically describe without saying like, for example, it's not possible for one plus one to equal three, but, but yeah. some things are just like, so, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, see, here's what's funny about things that, you know, like someone says something's possible because it's outside of the realm of that which they could they could prove or disprove. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. And that's so like I mean, with that with that kind of context, I mean, everything becomes possible. Yeah. You know? Anything anything that's not illogical, that's not a logical contradiction, becomes possible anyway. Because like we already have discussed, that one plus one can't be three. <laughs> right. So so like in the same way that people use this possibility argument to um, defend a causality, you know, you apply that, that same argument to the universe, and we could say, yes, it's possible that the universe doesn't exist. It's possible that, like, we don't exist, that nothing exists. And so, like, so, like <laughs> yeah. you know, when you understand the, absurd, the absurdity of that, then I think we have to, like, you know, kind of, like, formulate a stronger criteria for possible. That, that, that can't just like include anything because otherwise just anything's possible. Yes, it's possible that one plus one equals um, three because it's possible that we don't know everything, you know? And so, yeah, well, so here's an interesting thing that now this happened years ago, okay, but I was at, I was at church a long time ago and we were, we were reading out of, you know, that they call it the love chapter or something in Corinthians. And it, the part about love hopes all things, love believes all things and all that stuff. But when it got to the uh, love believes all things, I'm like, wait a minute. How can you believe all things? Because you can't believe two completely contradictory things at the same time. So there's no way to believe all things. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because like part of believe, saying that love believes all things is saying that love doesn't believe all things because that's a possibility. You know, so you're right. It's, it's self-contradictory. Yeah, I mean, there's no way I can believe that George Ortega exists and that George Ortega does not exist um, at the same time. You either do or you don't. Exactly. So like back and so with, you know, with this causality thing, I think, you know, we have to have a stronger um, sense of, of possibility than than just grammatical, you know, possibility than like, you know, it's possible, you know, that, you know, we can we can grammatically construct something that like, you know, it, 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 it conforms to some kind of like, you know, um, the most generalized sense of logic. I, I think, you know. Because, again, otherwise, you know, like anything is possible, which, you know, I mean, that, that's almost kind of like it's not really saying anything. Right. It's really not. Um, and this reminds me about Trick Slattery's recent blog post. Like, I think it was titled, Is It Possible to Be Confused About Possibility? <laughs> and it was it was interesting. Um, something about how, you know, there's not we we imagine alternative possibilities when making a decision and think well if we do this this would happen or if i did that that would happen but you're only going to do one of those things based on the strongest desire exactly right so possibilities largely exist in the imagination only 
Yeah, theoretically, theoretically, you know, it's possible we could have done otherwise if the universe had evolved otherwise. Right. right? But with, but with, you know, as the universe evolved, no, it's not possible. Right. Right. And here's an interesting when I think about possibility, I never think of it in the context of, well, this could have been different in the past that I could have done otherwise, because I know that 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 doesn't make any sense. Um, but what I think about possibility is, well, this thing that didn't happen in the past may still happen in the future. You know what I mean? Because that, that's just it. Like, you know, um, like we, we don't well, we don't really know. Like, for example, um, I didn't get nobody shot me with a gun and killed me today. But that could happen any other day in the future. And I wouldn't know it. Right. But that's but see that there's two. Those are two different um you know, considerations, you know, in other words, like one is, is related to the past, the other is related to the future. So one could say like, you know, nobody did whatever today, be completely correct. And like whatever, you know, happens like sometime in the future. So, yeah. And, and when we think about these possibilities of things that might happen in the future, we could, we could imagine possibilities such as the, the whole world getting that nobody has a free will. Do you think well, that could actually happen? Oh, I, if, if we're still around in 300 years, there's absolutely no way that the world will not understand that, you know, because this isn't that, you know, this isn't that difficult. I mean, like, you know, um, you know, for example, I think with evolution right now, 50 percent of Americans believe in, in the creation story, Adam and Eve and stuff. Give us another hundred years. I, I, I can't see, you know, anybody continuing to believe in that in that story. Maybe 200. Who knows? It could be sooner. Yeah. Um, I think the spread of information with the Internet has really changed things. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Because, you know, like Trick was saying, even a while back, um, he, he only had access to a little bit of information as far as science and philosophy and religion and all that. He had just had certain books available. He didn't have the Internet, you know, a few decades ago. Um, but now everybody has the internet. Everybody can find out just the information the quickest, and I think that's making the biggest difference. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And also, I mean, like each generation. I just read. Um, there's different figures. The one I read last night was that each generation the IQ um, of people increases about three per three points. So you know, so like again, in 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 a hundred years, that's five generations. That's fifteen points. You know, that's um, so like in 200 years, that's 30 points. So that's like somebody who'd have like an IQ of like 130 would have an IQ of 160. So like imagine like, you know, in in 100 years, you know, they're just like be all these like people as bright as, as Einstein and all, all over the place. So like, you know, with that, so, that, you know, because it's, it's not just about like the average person understanding this. It's like what we need with the free will thing is for people who are really, really intelligent, really bright to, you know, and, and like well-known, you know, academic, well-respected to explain this. And like at, as each generation um, unfolds and people get smarter and smarter, there's going to be more and more of those kind of people. Yeah. And I do think that big shifts happen um, in people's thinking where, like, you know, for example, I've been reading The Tipping Point. Um, 
And it's, it is interesting how a cer certain epidemics happen where a certain product be becomes popular, a certain idea gets promoted. And the, the example of that there were two writers warning people that the British were coming, but Paul Revere is the one who's remembered and the other guy wasn't, you know? Uh-huh. And what I find interesting is that in certain things tend to work to spread a message, to make it become an epidemic. Yeah, and Chandler, that's our challenge. That's our challenge. In other words, like, um, we've been, like, addressing the idea that uh, we don't have to really appeal to people's... We have to appeal to people's logic and emotions. You know, to appeal to, to logic uh, without an appeal to emotions is just not... is, you know, is going to... May, it might eventually uh, convince people, but that would that would take much much longer. So we have to kind of like that's I think why we're focused. You know, we're beginning to focus on on the fat shaming and all, just to to get people to to understand this on on a feeling level, not just cognitively. Yeah, I, I think there's got to be a way. Um, and similarly, um, now Magnus Vinding. He wrote the, the book, Why We Should Go Vegan, and he actually believes that eventually the whole world will go vegan, at least the very majority. Yeah, well, I, I tend to believe that, um, like, there's there's one kind of, like, um, contingency that, that might change that a bit in that, like, they're beginning to develop, like, high-quality protein foods from, like, insects, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen any articles on that, but, you know, so we might be eating ants, you know, or uh, cricket. I think it was crickets. Yeah, I think I've, I've, crickets, grasshoppers. Apparently, they're very high in protein. So, like, as gross as that sounds. That's too gross for me, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but, you know, because the idea is, like, you know, the, 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 um, the point behind veganism against carnism is about, you know, sentient beings suffering. And if we can, like, kind of demonstrate that, that grasshoppers and crickets aren't sentient beings, that they don't really feel anything, then I'm, I'm you know, I'm not sure there's a moral case for not eating them, I, you know. But, but, but I, I think, you know, I would rather that we just, like, yeah, eat plants and hopefully plants don't feel any pain. Right. Hopefully. And that's another, that's another thing right there is, you know, like, technically we can't prove um, beyond all doubt that plants don't feel pain. But I have no reason to think they do. Um, right, exactly. You know, fortunately, fortunately, yeah. Um, you know, I think right right now we, we believe that, I think I mentioned this recently, the decapods, the, the lobsters and crabs about, what is it, 30 million years ago or so were the, were the first, you know, creatures that they consider to be sentient, that they have the kind of like, neurology the biochemistry to be able to feel pain and pleasure so like yeah so hopefully with plants and the lower life forms below that then you know it's not the case yeah yeah but the the main point is when there's enough compelling reasons for an idea um it's not for example in the case of the free will uh topic it's not just that it's an interesting fact for the intellectually elite. That's not what it's about because it has such extreme implications in how we treat each other. Absolutely. I think the, the, um, the um, utility of the intellectual elite in this is simply that they would be more likely 
to both get that we don't have a free will and to get these implications. Because like, you know, like the tipping point, I think, spoke about these different people like the mavens and all. And there's there's a there's a group of people that like there's a group of people that, that get, you know, like, for example, information before vast populations do. They transfer it to these, I think it's mavens, it may be a different term, that, that these are people who aren't smart enough to maybe get it, get it, you know, immediately, but explained sufficiently well by the more intelligent people, they get it, and these people are much more social. These people will amplify it much, much more effectively than will the, the highly, you know, the more intelligent people. So, so yeah, yeah this... I, I've been reading about this, and yeah, the mavens are the ones who have all this information. They're like experts on information and knowing something. But then the connectors are the socially intelligent people who they've got friends, they've got contacts, they spread information much faster than the mavens could do on their own. All right, I'm glad you corrected me on that. So it's the, the mavens are the people who, who get it, and the connectors are the people who amplify it. Actually, yes, and then the I then I believe the third group was the salesmen who actually persuade. You know. Oh, interesting. Sell the idea. Okay. All right. So let's let's get back to the to this causality thing because, like, you know, um, another problem with causality, you know, is that like, and and, and like. You know, somebody could make the claim that you can't ever, quote unquote, prove anything. Right. But like scientifically speaking, like, you know, the scientific method is like that you perform the same experiment a thousand times. And if you get the same result each time, then you're kind of like establishing causality. Yeah. You know, so, so what I'm saying is like causality can be scientifically proven through the scientific method, whereas like the best you can ever come up with with any claim that anything is happening a causally or uncaused is that, well, actually, we don't really we're not observing the cause. You know, that that's the best you could possibly get. You you can't definitively for any kind of event say, yes, we we can prove that this is uncaused because, again, you know, um, something is making it happen and just um uh, yeah, it's impossible. It's a concept that's impossible to prove. Whereas, like the the concept of causality, you know, is is um, is at least according to science, logic. I think it's so much easier to prove. Completely agreed there, George. Because the very idea of science is about proving that this thing causes this thing. You can't prove that something wasn't caused by anything. There's just absolutely no conceptual way to do that. I know, and I, I, I hope, like, I think on, on the last podcast, I made the point that, like, you can't, you can't use a scientific method, you know, or, or scientific method that relies on cause and effect to arrive at its conclusions. You can't use that method to thereby, um, you know, even suggest something that's not caused. You can't have something that's caused, you know, providing evidence. That, that something exists that's uncaused. That's like, you know, it's kind of like you're starting with a premise that the things are caused because like, again, the, the scientific method is about causality. You can't go from there to, to then like suggest that something's uncaused. Yeah, um, and it's interesting because, you know, when people talk about that you can't like prove anything, I mean, some people make a case for solipsism, the idea that, well, we can't prove that we're not a brain in a vat or that we're in the matrix or something like that and that everything's an illusion. Um, 
But I mean, sure, yeah. There's no, we wouldn't have any way of knowing if we were just stuck in some Matrix illusion, like in the Matrix movies. But um, barring that particularly bizarre thought experiment, the things that we observe, the things, the experiments that we can repeat and get the same results each time, those we can have the great confidence in, and that's all causal. Exactly. I think, you know, just proof, proof is kind of like the word possibility that, you know, you can apply proof most technically to math and logic, you know, but like, so like within science, for example, we, you know, we're, there's not proof of gravity. I mean, like in a certain sense, there might be um, that, that, you know, objects pull other objects. I mean, uh, it, it's a kind of a term that science generally doesn't, I guess, um, strive for proof. It strives for levels of confidence. That's why in in climate change, we have a, like a 95% level of con 95% plus level of confidence that it's happening, that we're causing it. There are various kind of like you know aspects of it. But like science doesn't deal with proof, but that doesn't doesn't mean that that proof as a concept doesn't exist. I think we can we can prove through logic that that free will is absolutely impossible. You know, we have proven. I think I hear sound from Jamie's end. Jamie, are you there? Yeah, we are. Yeah, I don't know how much you heard of the conversation George and I were having or not. No, I'm, I've only just uh, joined back in. Sorry, um, did I mess out on much? Um, well, we were talking about all sorts of crazy stuff, like 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 the Matrix and a causality and the the book called The Tipping Point, all sorts of fun stuff. Is it in the Matrix, the uh briefly talk about uh, the free will issue, didn't they? Um, yeah, The Matrix is a very interesting movie because, you know, you know, when realizing it's all an illusion, and there's a great quote about choice being an illusion that I saw as part of that movie. But yeah, like we were talking about the concept, like people say that you can't prove things, and we can't prove that we're not in the matrix that we're just in a fictional world that this isn't the real universe <laughs> yeah and that's all but we're talking about proof also re relative to causality i mean to a causality to the to this idea that certain things are uncaused basically you know we we, we were kind of like saying you can prove causality you know as, as much as anything can be proved but you can't get anywhere near that with a causality and, and more to the point i think is that when you really think about it, this concept of, of a causality, it's it's in a certain sense incoherent because like, you know, again, oh Jamie, that sound again. Hmm? Jamie, oh, sorry, uh, if you can mute. Yeah, all right, I'll back the mute. Yeah, it's too bad Jamie's having audio trouble. Yeah, I wonder what that's about. So, all right, so yeah, with, with, the, with the a causality, again, if, if you take it as a premise that, at least today, today, if you take it as a premise that there was a universe that existed yesterday, then from that premise, you can't arrive at, at, at the, even the suggestion that anything happening today is uncaused, because in order to do that, you would have to negate the existence of the universe yesterday. You know, because something that's like, again, like something that's uncaused today can't have anything you know before it 
And you know, most people, you know, uh, that's not an easy concept for, for some people to understand. But I think that the way to understand that is to, to re recognize that the entire universe at the Big Bang was, you know, uh, a singularity, you know, the size, what, smaller than an atom, whatever. And that like, so like it evolved moment by moment, stage by stage, you know, to this present moment so that like the universe has to um, be, you know, one step, one, one, um, one state of the universe, the universe in one state has to be the complete cause of the state in the, in the next, you know, of the universe in the next state. And see, the, the other part of this, Chandler, is that, like, the state of the universe at one moment isn't just the complete cause of the state of the universe at the next moment. It's also the state, the cause of anything happening within that state of the universe of the next moment. That's what makes free will. That's what makes a causality, you know, incoherent if, if you accept the, the, the premise that the universe existed yesterday. Yeah, it, it's what's interesting about it is the the idea of a causality basically means that, yeah, it can't be caused by anything already in the universe. So then it would have to be outside of the universe which is basically outside of existence right and that's that's an incoherent because like by definition the universe means everything now yes we, we can take it like we can say that like we we can distinguish between the observable of the universe and the quote-unquote infinite universe but even so like if, if, so like again there's nothing outside of this infinite universe because by definition it is everything yeah so you're it, it, mm -hmm. Now I'm and I'm not so sure about the, about the whole singularity thing because I don't think the whole universe uh, fit into an atom. <laughs> well, I, I mean that blows my mind too. I mean I, I have to accept it because like I think the the science, um, the evidence for it is so powerful. You know I mean like it's just like you know you read up on it. It's just like you know it. In other words, like before it, they kind of like thought, well, the universe was just like this steady state thing that it was always the way it was and all. And all of a sudden they're finding this evidence that like, you know, the background um, radiation and these, these, these kinds of ways to determine that everything is moving away from everything else. And so like, you know, how can you, how can you explain that other than to um, conclude that at, at some point in the past, everything you know, must have been, you know, at, at, a, at a certain point. Um, it, yeah, it boggles my mind. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing that I could think of, which I don't necessarily know how in the world this would work, is if there was a certain point somewhere where new matter was being created. Because I can't imagine all the, all the current matter we see all fitting into something smaller than an atom. Yeah, well, that's that's an interesting theory. Um, it, it could be. I mean, like you know, there there's this kind of like a view that matter does come into existence. Um, for example, the, the 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 expansion of the universe. George, I don't hear you right now. Huh? Yeah, I noticed that George went out the call, didn't he? Yeah, um, he was saying something, and then now it says call dropped. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, we need to call it back. Yeah, this is weird. 
right, now I just came back on, but now I hear that that noise. Yeah, j yeah, it's weird. Yeah, because first I stopped hearing you right in the middle of what you were saying, George, and then Jimmy unmuted his mic and was talking to me. Um, is my mic still making noises? Yes, yeah, sometimes, just... sometimes it does. So yeah, um, yeah, basically, I would, yeah, you're right, Chandler. I mean, like um, this this idea that yes, maybe after the Big Bang, um, you know, matter is is being you know is coming into being that wasn't there you know at the moment of the Big Bang and stuff. That's plausible, you know, at least by by my understanding. But then we would posit that there's kind of like a a dimension or this infinite universe from which that new matter comes because i can't i can't conceive of new matter just like coming from nothing right this this something from nothing um proposition yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of strange um because yeah i can't imagine the matter coming from just absolutely nothing so we could we could we could imagine a baby universe that had a mother universe or something. I don't know. Right. And, and, and if you want to really blow our minds completely, I mean, like this, you know, again, this, this, this big bang, that there was something that happened before it, you know, it didn't just like, you know, in other words, like reality isn't just 13.8 billion years old. I mean, like it's gotta be like gazillions. I mean, <laughs> that, that's really the, the biggest mind blower, you know, at least logically, you know, the universe is like infinitely old, eternal, and and like, you know, imagine like a Google times a Google times a Google times a Google, you know, infinitely. That that is a true mind blower. Well, yeah, I agree, but that's that's what um, determinism really kind of implies is that if everything has that happens has some cause and it has to be caused by something else, which is caused by something else. So we are left with an infinite regression, which already leads to the idea that the universe has to be infinitely old. Even if there was a beginning to the so-called known universe, that doesn't that doesn't mean that there's not some other, uh, I don't know, dimension or other um, universal type thing that where the matter would flow from there into the singularity and explode or something. <laughs> Exactly. And I know, but just like, and the other part of it is like, you know, like they, they, um, you know, the universe, we can measure the universe from one end to the other, the diameter. And I, I don't know what the number is, but we can establish a number for it. Right. But then, you know, then the, the, the other question is like, well, what did the universe expand into? Right. And like beyond what we know, it seems like there has to be something out there further. Which, I mean, it, it's so weird because the other part of this, like, that's really weird is like the further out you go, the closer you're getting to the big bang. So in a certain sense, the further out you go in either side of the universe, the closer you're getting to the universe being smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, it's just <laughs> like, Oh man, <laughs> man, this does blow my mind. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I can't imagine there being a diameter of the universe. I can't imagine there being an actual size to it because what is there at the end? A wall? Like if you again, a certain direction, you hit a wall. <laughs> right. Well, Chandler, again, that's there's like you know there's diameter to the quote unquote um, observable universe or known universe, right? But then you're right, exactly. That Aristotle, Aristotle was asked this. Like Aristotle's like you know like 
is the universe finite or infinite? He said, I think he said it was, it's finite. And then he was asked, what is on the other side of this wall, whatever, this end? And his answer was nothing. <laughs> I don't think that's very satisfying. No, it's not, because if there's any boundary, it's something that's Okay, Jamie, your, your mic again. Uh, sorry. Yeah, it, I feel bad for Jamie because he can't join the conversation because he's having such audio trouble. Yeah, yeah, Jamie, just like, you know, just unmute whenever you want to talk, though. Yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, but this this is really mind blowing. All this stuff, because like it, you know, thinking about possibilities. I mean, we're talking about stuff that, you know, we're just imagining uh, things like the end end of the universe or another dimension where matter flows in or whatever. Um, those are examples of things that are possible. You might say that might be be true. Um, we just don't we just don't know. I guess. Um, but not the same as when somebody says that free will is a possibility or a causality is a possibility. Exactly. We've got to distinguish between, you know, maybe we can do a podcast on this, distinguish between what, what, what we actually mean by possible. Because, like, you could, like, again, you could say anything's possible and that kind of, like, you know, makes grammatical sense. But from what we know of the universe, no, anything is not possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I definitely think there needs to be a real standard of what possible means because it would have extreme implications. Like, for example, like, suppose I were to ask you, is it possible that the world of My Little Pony really exists? <laughs> what would you think about that? Well, that's interesting. Then, like, then we kind of have to explore, like, anything that exists now, like a computer, um, mathematics, language, you know, colors. Um, before the universe came into existence, the known universe, did these things exist in some form, in some kind of, like, you know, um, I think there, there's a term for it, Akashic field or something. Just Well, that, I think, refers to, like, everything that's happened that there's a memory of. But, like, is, is there kind of, like, a a universe of potentialities, uh, you know, and, you know, I guess, you know, there, there's no way we can know. Um, but, but that's the, that's, I think the, the weaker sense of possibility. Yes, I suppose it's possible, right? It's possible that there's like a, there's like, you know, these, the, the little ponies existed, you know, a zillion years ago, you know, and that there's this real land of them. It's possible. Right. But like, again, like I think when, when we're thinking about the term possibility, I think we, we generally want to limit it to, to our knowledge of how the universe works. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, like, it's definitely, it makes sense to be open to the idea that there's life out there on other planets, you know, in this universe. Because, I mean, if life can arise on this planet, then it, then it would seem that under similar conditions or even different conditions, a different type of life form could live on these other planets, even when their climate differs so much. Oh, yeah. With, with aliens, it's funny because you, you'll, you'll hear skeptics saying that, like, some people, you have, you know, the term synchronicity, mean, you know, I think it means that um, 
that two events that happen at the same time that are like really related to each other are not just coincidence. That there's kind of like, you know, there's some kind of like connection that's unexplained between them, right? For example, like, you know, I'm thinking to call a certain person and as soon as I have that thought, the person calls, right? Now, a lot of skeptics will say that's nothing more than a coincidence, right? Because then, then they'll refer to the probabilities. Well, you know, like, sure, it's, you know, you know, if you take the probabilities in consideration, it has to be a coincidence. But if you apply that same concept of probabilities to aliens, then it's far, far more probable that they exist than not. You know, in other words, like, it would be extremely narrow-minded to suggest that aliens don't exist because the, the, the probabilities of them not existing in this vast universe is so minuscule. Here's how I look at it, George. Imagine there was a, a tribe of humans on one island on Earth, okay? They're on this island, and they've been there for thousands of years on this island. And, but, the, but nobody's ever traveled anywhere else because all they see all around them is water. So they just assume that the, they're on the only land that there is. They don't know that there, that there are other continents, that there's other people, there's other things out there on those different lands, and they think that they're the only life um, that exists. And I feel like humans do that. If they, if they um, just dismiss the idea of life forms on other planets, it's kind of like the same thing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and I guess the more you know about astronomy and about biology, the more you understand that it's extremely improbable that we're the only life form in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, um, I think there's something called tardigrades or something that can, uh, that can stand um, extremely cold temperatures that nothing else can. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that certain enzymes, the building blocks of, of, of life on this planet, you know, they're, they're found in comets and asteroids, maybe, you know. So the, these things are coming from out of space, meaning they've got to be, you know, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if there if um, the life that is on this planet originally came from some some rock that came from somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny. I mean, this we we yeah we talked a little bit about a causality, but we've also talked about the Big Bang and aliens. And it's just I like how this goes. Yeah, and Chandler, that's that's what's so great about the the whole free will topic and matter. It invites this kind of inquiry. If if stuff isn't up to us, what is it up to? What is the nature of what it's up to? You know, it just like it it opens up an entire new universe of questions. I mean, you know, not literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just, you know, I like the curiosity. I like being able to just think these questions that, um, I guess, um, notions such as free will or a causality tend to stop us from questioning. You know, they tend, know. yeah, they just make us think, oh, well, that person chose to do it. There's no cause for their behavior. Or well, this just happened randomly, but there's no cause for it. But the but it's always it's always some autistic genius or some some scientist who tries to investigate what caused something. Absolutely. And the cool thing about this free will thing is like you, you've got a ball in your hand and you drop it. You know, you, you release your hand. The ball is going to drop to the ground, and it's just a matter of time, right? 
it's, it's going to get there. I mean, like in, in this case, it's pretty quickly. But with the world getting that, that nobody has a free will, it's just a matter of time. And it'd be so cool if it happened within the next, let's say, 10, 10 years or so. That'd be so amazing. You know, the, I mean, maybe not, not, maybe not everyone would get it. But the, just like science would accept it, religion would accept it, you know, governments would accept it, societies would accept it. That would be so cool. It would be like a completely different world, you know. I, mean, I, I, I still think happiness is the, the holy grail of stuff. You know, in other words, like, we can find a way to make everybody blissed out. Game over for everything. Who cares about free will? <laughs> well, yeah, and here's the, here's the point, George. Now, it's not just about the truth of that we don't have free will. It's about how understanding this makes us happier. Because sure, like, let's say that it was depressing. Some people think it's depressing, but it's really not. Um, but let's just say that it did make everyone depressed. Well, then we wouldn't necessarily have motive to promote it, but we would still have to, in honesty, admit that it's true. Exactly. And see, no, yeah, you make a good point, because if, if, if it didn't, if this didn't have not just value, but profound value to the future happiness of the world, I wouldn't be doing it. I wouldn't be, you know, because like, you know, fine, knowledge is knowledge, but like, you know, you know, considering that there's like needless suffering in the world, you know, and like people aren't happy as it could be, but, but um, yeah, just, just, just understanding, just understanding the nature of reality, that, that in itself is, is something that, that, that is, you know, that's what science is about in, in, in a lot of ways, absolutely. Yeah, and here's another thing about it is that, you know, it seems that telling people that, they, that th their choices are up to them, telling them that, that they have free will, and telling them that, that they're morally responsible for things has n never, in my experience, actually made people more moral. Instead, it just leads to them trying to justify why they did what they did or say that it's not really a bad, you know, and then they go into this form of denial. Well, I mean, I'm not sure I can agree with you completely on that. Um, I mean, in, in a lot of people's minds, you know, this idea of that, that, like, especially when you, like, relate it to, like, heaven and hell, a lot of people believe that, like, if we live a certain kind of life, we're going to go to a better place. And if we don't, we're going to go to a worse. And so I think this, this concept of free will does have some utility. I think, as a matter of fact, that's, that's how it developed. People thought, well, if we, if we hold people responsible, if they think they're responsible, they might behave better. But I think what we're finding out is, like, as you point out, it has a limited utility. But much more importantly than that, not only it, it has harm, and, 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 and what, what free will does, we can do in the world without the concept of free will. That's the important thing. Right. We, not only does free will cause harm, we, we don't need it. Yeah. Right. See, that's just it, George, is we don't actually need the concept of free will in order to accomplish the same purposes for which it probably was invented originally. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, hopefully, eventually... You know, people, you know, what Chandler, what we need, you know, you know, relative like tipping point and all that. I don't know, like, we just not need these heavyweight scientists, these, like, for example, Daniel Kahneman. He's a psychologist that he won 
a Nobel Prize in economics, interestingly. I think that probably the only psychologist who ever won a, a prize in economics. And if people like him would get into this and start writing about it, then the people in their fields who aren't as bright, aren't as successful and all, would follow suit, would, would just like fall in line behind them. You know, I think that's the state, that's one of the things that, that, you know, we can also go through the public, more of a grassroots thing, but it'd be great to get those, those the heavy hitters in science on board. Yeah, um, you know, some of these, um, some of these scientists, some of these psychologists, certain f philosophers and these, you know, academics, some of them are the connectors. Some of these people, as soon as one of them gives a speech or writes a book, then everybody is listening to it or reading it because these people are popular. People know these people. Yeah, and Chandler, we can draw an excellent analogy with what's happening today in the United States with marijuana. You know, 10 years ago, very few people, uh, scientists, you know, people with any kind of reputation would, you know, would make a statement saying, yeah, we should legalize it, it's going to all. But like once a certain, you know, once Colorado legalized it, Oregon legalized it, Washington, now, now it's much more, now people have more license. You know, celebrities are coming out with, saying they use it and stuff. So again, this is a, it's a great analogy with what, what you know, needs to happen with this free will thing. Once, once enough people get it you know, in a certain way, you know, uh, then the, the heavy hitters can just feel safer, that, it, that, that, you know, that so many people are behind them that they won't, wouldn't be pariahs. So yeah, that, that, that's I think what we're waiting for, yep. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm pretty optimistic that certain things can improve about people understanding that free will is an, is an illusion, and so they quit blaming each other and threatening them with hell and weird stuff like that. Yeah, I wish I was around like 200 years from now to see what kind of world this would be, because I'm, I'm pretty convinced it's going to be a blissed-out world one way or another, you know, through psychopharmacological solutions, through like psychology i mean psychology is a relatively new field you know i mean like yeah we're just like yeah this this <laughs> the, the the cool thing about like one, one way that we understand that nobody has a free will is that we understand we're programmed to seek pleasure and avoid pain so even though we make a lot of mistakes and we make a lot of mistakes who knows why but because of this programming you know year by year generation and after generation as a world I think, especially like, you know, we get we go through some like hiccups, this climate change thing, whatever, hopefully we'll get over this all right. But if, if the trend is to seek pleasure and avoid pain, you know, in decades and centuries, you've got to like have, you know, human beings getting better and better at, at that. You know, I, I can't see how any, any other, you know, possibility could, could emerge. Yeah, and even though change, it, I mean, change does happen. It, sometimes it seems too slow because we would like to see certain things end. Like, we would like to see all racism and sexism and speciesism disappear. We would have liked to have seen that a long time ago. <laughs> but Yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. But yeah, but I think eventually it will happen. It just is really hard... Um, I think for generations to break away from the old ways because, you know, children are taught a certain way by the schools, by their parents, by the churches, one way, 
And then they have to wait till they're like 20 before they can even begin to investigate the other things that are out there. That's true. Although with the internet, yeah, <laughs> maybe it's 10 now. Who knows? But yeah. I yeah, I think that's doubled the speed at which change occurs. <laughs> right. And the other part of this is like, um, yeah, we want certain things to happen because we that's the way they should be. You know, we shouldn't be like torturing animals. We sh there shouldn't be any poverty, any extreme poverty where people don't have, you know, clean water and enough food. I mean, these, these are this is the way the world should be. And I think we can, again, it, it's taking longer than we would hope, but I think we can guarantee that it's going to happen, you know, probably again within the next 100, 200 years. You know, that that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I saw, so I, you know, that's the thing is I, I think it's good to, I guess, end on a positive note like that, that, you know, what things are improving in certain ways across the world. Um, so... Yeah, hopefully it will continue to do that, and I, I'm I'm not exactly sure about whether people are really getting more intelligent or not, though, because I'm not I'm not so sure that it our experience shows us that. <laughs> well, you got to realize the idiots that are running the world are in their 40s and 50s and 60s. So in other words, like you know, the the people in their 30s and 20s and 10, and you know, people who are born now. Or like, you know, they haven't come into power yet. So like, you'll probably see this this um, intelligence manifested over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, I, that's, that's a very good point because, I mean, the very fact that because people die and then new people are born and then they end up in those positions instead means that the change is truly inevitable in every sense of the word. Oh, that's a great point. Absolutely. Somebody, uh, famous scientists uh, once said, like, science advances one funeral at a time. <laughs> when the old people die off, absolutely. It's true, because since people don't live forever, they cannot dominate the economics, the politics, the religions forever, because at some point they die, and, and those who follow them will be different, because no two people are alike. Yeah, and as you were saying before, the internet is like expediting this. It's like, you know, moving everything into high gear. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a hopeful thing. And it is exciting to see it. Oh, yeah. We're, we're living in an amazing time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's exciting to be alive at this time because, I mean, if it, if it had been just, you know, if it, dude, if this had been, you know, even 30 years ago, um, we would not be having Skype and Wi-Fi internet and, and talking and recording podcasts. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. I guess we we've talked about every imaginable subject, um, but I guess we probably should end this at some point. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, we should. End, let's end it now. Absolutely. All right. You've been listening to Chandler Klebs and George Ortega on Free Will, Science, and Religion. And Jamie's been on the call too, but having technical difficulties. So hopefully that will be resolved for future episodes because I know he has stuff to say too. But anyway, we talked about a causality, the Big Bang, the infinite universe, and how people uh, are getting smarter and how eventually everyone will get that nobody has a free will. So um, hope it works out that way and soon. So thank you for listening and goodbye.